This week in KMA Land, Shen Council Bluffs Police Residency Amendment. Council sets the city's property tax levy. Brush fire rash prompts KMA Land burning bans. Area lawmakers focused on education bills. Shenandoah and Clarinda school officials await state house decisions. And SHS principal resigns. I'm Mike Peterson. Plans for Shenandoah police to hire a part-time officer from the Omaha area fell apart this week. By a 3-2 vote Tuesday evening, the Shenandoah City Council rejected the first reading of an amendment to city ordinances regarding state residency requirements for law enforcement. At the council's previous meeting, City Administrator A.J. Lyman says the amendment would allow the city to hire a part-time certified officer currently living out of state. That officer happens to live in the city of Omaha, across the river, outside of the state. So the state law enforcement academy would require the city to have an ordinance in place that would allow us to hire out-of-state employees. Lyman says the officer who previously worked for Council Bluffs Police would backfill shifts as needed. Council members Rita Gibson, Tony Graham, and Kim Swank voted against the amendment. Swank restated his opposition to the proposal. I just want to state that I'm totally against this. And uh, I've had a lot of residents that uh, said the same thing to me. I just want to pass it on that uh, there is people in town that are not in favor of this. Council members John Eric Bratner and Richard Jones voted in favor. No one spoke at a public hearing prior to the council's vote. Officials say the amendment wouldn't have impacted the city requirements for full-time officers. Shenandoah Mayor Roger McQueen expressed his disappointment over the council's decision on KMA's Morning Line program the following morning. You know, this is not something brand new. This is something that's going on all over the country. Uh, other other departments are doing this for the simple fact of, of being able to uh, allow uh, that personnel to, to work, you know, out into another state like that. And, uh, you know, here we had an opportunity uh, from a fellow that actually lives in Omaha, works in Council Bluffs, is Iowa certified police officer to come down and just work part time uh, and so forth. He was willing to come down here and do it. And, uh, you know, when we found out we had to have this ordinance on the books, which was a surprise because we never encountered this before. Uh, so, yeah, I was I was disappointed because I think we were missing out on a, on a good officer, a certified officer that was willing to uh, work in Shenandoah and so forth. So, you know, I, I look at it, too. Uh, what would be the case if we had an Iowa officer that was certified that lived in Tarkio, 20, 20 miles away and uh, wanted to uh, work part time in Shenandoah? You know, I, I, I don't know what kind of a message I guess we're sending when 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 it's hard to find officers anyway and then when you have somebody willing to come down and work uh, even if they live out of state uh, I, I don't think it was a major factor I, I think a lot of this got blown out of proportion that in an emergency he would be 60 miles away and that that was not the case uh, it, they would just be part-time they would be on a shift with uh, at least two other full-time officers also tuesday night the shenandoah city council approved the city's proposed property tax levy for fiscal year 2025 of $16.34 per thousand dollars valuation. That's up more than a buck sixty from the current fiscal year's levy of fourteen sixty nine per thousand. Shenandoah City Administrator A.J. Lyman tells KMA News the increase is due to additional bonded indebtedness accrued over the past year. You know, rather than the last four years where we've had bond payments going away, we've got bond payments coming back on. So we've got our uh, nuisance demo bond money coming due, our street resurfacing project that we did some TIF projects that we've done, 
and then uh, we did the, the demo, the ash borer removal. We've got a fire truck we've got to pay for. Lyman reviewed each department's budget figures for the council in a special session prior to Tuesday night's regular council meeting. He praised departments for a team effort on the budget process. They're getting monthly updates on where they're at and their spending, but we plan in January for spending money 18 months from then, you know, so it's hard to forecast the future all the time. So, you know, priorities change or emergencies pop up, different things like that happen from time to time, and we just have to, to pivot. To, to whatever the need is at that time. And Council members also set a public hearing for March 26th at 5.30 p.m. on the fiscal 2025 budget. New state regulations require city councils to hold budget hearings separate from regular sessions. Some KMA land fire departments received temporary relief from the recent rash of brush fires this week. Open burning bans were declared in Page, Montgomery Mills, Pottawatomie, Cass, Adair, Union, Decatur, Harrison, and Guthrie counties. The ban prohibits all open and contained burning in all three counties, including incorporated communities. Page County Emergency Management Coordinator Jill Harvey tells KMA News the continuing drought has made conditions ripe for brush fires. We've had some moisture with the snow, but unfortunately most of that is gone so everything is still very dry with the winds that are forecasted it doesn't take much to rekindle some of the past fires that have happened or just a spark and add that wind to it in our dry conditions and the low relative humidity just creates for a quick ignition source on that harvey says at least four of the county's six departments sunday responded to brush fires in their own coverage area or assisted other departments under mutual aid she says brush fires pose a challenge and danger to firefighters if it gets ahead of the departments it's just really hard to catch up a regular fire there's different things you can do to help control that but when you get the conditions we have now with the winds and the low relative humidity, things are just going to spread so much quicker and it's just hard to get a handle on it. Digging the fire lines and some of that stuff that people do in controlled burns, it's just not enough because that wind can carry it. Harvey hopes residents heed the open burning ban. If you've had burns the past couple of days, be it trash piles that you are monitoring or a brush pile that maybe you burned three, four days ago, please go out and check them again. It will not take much to reignite those. You may think they were put out, but one little spark could be burning in there somewhere and the wind hits it just right and it could take off again. Shenandoah Fire Chief Justin Marshall told KMA News Page County's burn ban declared Monday helped break a long stretch of daily brush fire related calls. Marshall says the rash of fire calls took its toll on his firefighters. In addition to smoke and flames, fatigue and dehydration also posed dangers to fire crews. Nobody had a true weekend. We were out the whole weekend and everybody was working, putting fires out. It's obviously these guys, they work a, a page, you know, a job elsewhere. So they, they're working and they, you know, they have lives, they have commitments with family and other things. And you know, it takes away from that. It's, it's, it's tiring, and but they, they do a good job. They, they, they show up, they work together, they get through it. Another challenge is the recent trend of brush fire incidents. We actually started in December before the, the big snow in January. And, and now these, these conditions are the last couple, three years with, with the shortage of rain. I mean, this stuff's kicking off in, in early February, and it's, it's, it's carrying sometimes to almost mid-May. Marshall hopes residents continue to refrain from open burning. He says massive wildfires in other parts of the country indicate all it takes is one spark. This 70,000, 80,000-acre wildfire that, that kicked off in western Nebraska this week, that was started by a, a lawnmower, a simple lawnmower. I mean, it's the slightest spark from... 
you know, a hot bearing on, on any piece of moving equipment, a, a toss cigarette. I mean, it takes one ember. For more information, contact the State Fire Marshal's Office at 515-725-6145 or go to dps.state.ia.us. Education officials across KMA land are keeping their eyes focused on developments at the State House. Republicans in the Iowa House recently approved a 3% increase in supplemental state aid for K-12 schools for the 2025 fiscal year beginning July 1st. That's more than the 2.5% hike proposed by Governor Kim Reynolds and supported by the Iowa Senate. Well, speaking at last Saturday's legislative briefing in Shenandoah, State Representative Tom Moore says he pushed for more state money for for schools after hearing from area superintendents. The Griswold Republican says districts need additional dollars to pay for increased teacher salaries. Because of the uh, CPI, Consumer Price Index, schools are mandated to pay the teachers a 3% increase this year because they either get the CPI or they get 3%. So 3% is going to be a minimum increase for teachers. Another education issue still undecided in the proposed increase is teacher compensation. House members support increasing the minimum starting teacher salary to $47,500 the first year and $50,000 in year two. Moore says lawmakers on his side of the chamber separated the teacher pay package from the contentious AEA proposal. By bringing everybody up to $47,500 and $50,000, a lot of our, especially our smaller rurals, it's going to compress their salary schedules. And this will help them to stretch those back out so that we're getting money to veteran teachers. The governor's original policy, which we separated, we in the House have separated from the AEA bill. We said we're not going to run them the same. We're going to take care of the AEA bill as one bill. We're going to do the teacher compensation as another. We're going to slow everything down. Both Moore and State Senator Tom Shipley say attention given to the AEA bill bogged down action on SSA levels. Shipley hoped Senate legislators support the 3% level. I go over and ask my friends once in a while, how's it going? And uh, you can kind of tell before you ask sometimes how it's going. But um, I think there's the, the 3%, I'm very much in favor of the 3% also. And I've told them that. Uh, I, I don't know how it's all going to hash out. Well, as lawmakers continue to deliberate, negotiations on teacher and support staff contracts are underway in the Shenandoah School District. By a 4 to nothing vote late Wednesday afternoon, the Shenandoah School Board acknowledged the receipt of the Shenandoah Education Association's initial proposal for the 2024-25 contract. High school social studies instructor Brian Doust is a member of the SEA's bargaining committee. At the first of two special board meetings, Doust says the SEA proposes an increase in instructors' base salaries from $40,830 to $45,000. Our total proposed percent increase is 8.64, which includes increasing the teacher salary base to $39,667 plus TSS equaling Five thousand three hundred thirty-three, and aging the schedule. The total dollar amount increase is about six hundred thirty-five thousand two hundred seventy dollars. Shenandoah School Superintendent Dr. Carrie Nelson offered the board's opening proposal at the second special meeting, calling for aging the salary schedule for teachers and coaches. The district's offer represents a 1.46% increase in total wages and costs more than $107,000. Nelson notes the Iowa legislature has yet to decide on the supplemental state aid for fiscal 2025. We know that state aid could range anywhere from 25 to 3%, but nothing has been established and 
our current understanding is that that won't be finalized until well after they've made decisions related to the AEA bill. Clarinda school officials and staff are also among those in suspense over activities at the State House. By unanimous vote late Wednesday afternoon, the Clarinda School Board approved the collective bargaining request from the Clarinda Education Association representing the district's instructors. In a letter to the board, members of the CEA's negotiations team request the first bargaining session to be held by the end of March. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Thursday morning, Clarinda School Superintendent Jeff Privia says negotiations are expected to begin shortly. The next step for us will be to meet with our uh, representatives from the school board for negotiations, and then we will have a proposal uh, back to the CEA. That will be in an open meeting, and then that will allow us to get started on our uh, negotiations process. Uh, Privia says much of this year's negotiations are riding on the outcome of important bills under consideration in the Iowa legislature. He says any delay in the legislature means uncertainty in teacher contracts. The longer we wait, then our teachers aren't under contract. That gives them a little more freedom where they can look and jump to another job possibly or those kind of things. And, you know, we want to get those contracts done as soon as possible and get our staff solidified and, you know, get preparing for next year. That's Clarinda School Superintendent Jeff Privia. Another changing of the guard is in order at Shenandoah High School. By a 4 to nothing vote at a special meeting Wednesday afternoon, the Shenandoah School Board accepted the resignation of Andrew Christensen as SHS principal effective at the end of the school year. A Neola native, Christensen arrived in Shenandoah in the fall of 2022 from Fort Calhoun Junior and Senior High School, where he served seven years there as head football coach, strength conditioning coordinator, and PE instructor. Then the last two as athletic director and assistant principal. Saying it was a difficult decision, Christensen tells KMA News the need for his wife Julie to be closer to her employment in the Omaha Council Bluffs area necessitated the departure. You know, my family and I, we really do um, love it here in Shenandoah and I've loved my position here at the high school as principal and coach and uh, working with youth sports and um, so it's been an extremely hard decision for us. It's uh, been a a uh, really tough month uh, leading up to it. Unfortunately, we just have to get a little bit closer to the Metro for my wife's work position. Christensen has accepted the high school principal's position in the Underwood School District. I'll be in a very similar role to where I am right now. Underwood's a place that I grew up in on the weekends uh, at my dad's place, um, and I grew up in Yola with my mom on during the week. And so Yola Tri-Center and Underwood are home to me, and so we'll be going back to Underwood, and I'll be the high school principal. Upon arrival, Christensen laid out an aggressive agenda for improving the high school's academic performance and extracurricular activities. With the help of his staff, he says the high school has accomplished those goals. In U.S. News and, and World Report, getting on the top schools list has been an amazing accomplishment. Getting the Iowa Report card back with high performance rating um, for the first time in a very long time was a goal of ours, and being able to do that with our students and our staff was a great accomplishment. Just doing different things uh, throughout the, the activity world and trying to assist and support um, all of our coaches and, and all of our programs the best I possibly can and the best we possibly can um, has just been a, an amazing um, opportunity and a, and a great challenge for all of us. Christensen hopes his predecessor, Activities Director John Weinrich, and the high school staffers will continue the strides made in athletics and other extracurricular. School officials are already advertising for a new principal. 
Page County officials are taking another look at solar energy project regulations. Mid-American Energy Representative Will Doherty outlined area county ordinances already in place for solar farms with the Page County Board of Supervisors Thursday evening. Discussions regarding a county ordinance led to an extended 180-day moratorium on commercial solar applications in August. While large-scale solar farms are still fairly new across Iowa, Doherty says more counties are beginning to look into ordinances as more projects are being developed. It's still pretty new. There's a lot of projects coming down the pipeline in the state of Iowa in general. Right. A lot of counties are starting to take this up right now because they see it coming, and it's a good thing to do. And so I think we're going to see probably more and more solar projects being requested by counties and everything. One of those projects includes a just over 400-acre, 100-megawatt solar farm north of Clorinda around 196th Street and S Avenue. But Doherty notes it's still a few years down the road. Some of the ordinances reviewed by the board included Mills, Montgomery, Madison, and Fremont counties with sound level requirements for non-participant property lines ranging from 40 to 60 decibels. Doherty says the primary noise concern with solar farms is the power inverter. All the inverters are internally placed within the project. So they're not on, on the exterior. So basically you have these fans basically to cool the inverters down uh, when you're turning it from that AC, that DC to AC. And so you put them on the interior side of the project to just basically create as much buffer as you can from the exterior of the property all the way to neighboring adjacent parcels as well. Some of the setbacks in the ordinances reviewed also included between 300 and 500 feet for non-participant property lines from the edge of the project. Supervisors Chair Jacob Holmes also inquired about the height requirements, with most counties limiting the panels to 15 feet at full tilt, while Mills County allowed up to 20 feet. Doherty says his company was consulted during the development of the Mills County Ordinance. He outlined the reasoning for the additional five feet. The double stacking of PVs on a single tracker adds that additional height and allows us to kind of create the row spacing a little further apart, get more vegetation into the actual site itself. So you have less rock, you have less gravel, you have less piles in the ground, also less ground disturbance. You can just fit more PVs on a single tracking system. So it's a little less invasive from that standpoint, but also to your point, yeah, it does make them slightly taller when they are fully tracked. But the way they track from east to west, it'd be, you know, at the early parts of the morning, late parts of the night, and they'd flatten out in between. Also unique to Mills County, he says, is a vegetation scorecard, which can outline the priorities for the county regarding any plants, wildflowers, or pollinators under the solar panels. The board plans to review other county ordinances further and bring the discussion back next week. Plans to restrict parking on a certain Clorinda Street yielded feedback this week. By a 4-1 to vote Wednesday evening, the Clorinda City Council approved the second reading of an ordinance restricting parking on both sides of 12th Street from Washington Street north to city limits. Current regulations do not permit parking on the west side of 12th between Garfield and Nishna Streets. High traffic with large farm equipment and semis paired with vehicles currently allowed to park on the stretch of road sparked the discussion. At least four residents voiced their concerns over removing the parking. Amy Gray says she was surprised by the number of people she asked along the route who wanted to keep the parking. Some of it is we don't want the traffic flying up and down there getting faster. Some of the other issues that they were concerned about if we take away this, um, I know at our intersection it gets real bad with the drainage and water main. If these abundance more of uh, semis coming through with full loads tearing up our streets, 
Other residents, including Jay Leininger and Frank Orr, expressed safety concerns over vehicles driving well over the speed limit on the stretch of road. Leininger's residents in the area believe the current parking helps regulate those speeds, at least when drivers are heading out of town. I know that's a hassle for the truck drivers that come in and out of there, the farm equipment and what have you, but it actually works. It's what really does slow people down right there. Ray also suggested a traffic study to potentially find an alternate route for traffic, for trucks rather, coming through town to avoid the residential area. However, Clarinda Mayor Craig Hill noted much of the water main issues have been due to the persistent drought conditions that have caused the mains to lose adequate soil support and break. Hill also believes that removing the parking wouldn't cause a spike in traffic. I don't really feel we, by taking the parking off of that street, we will increase the number of tr- the number of trucks that go down that during the harvest season, and with the deliveries that we have to the industry out there and to the MHI or the correctional facilities. Those trucks are going to be there no matter what. Councilman Mike Albaugh was the lone council member in opposition. The ordinance requires a third reading before officially being adopted. Sydney residents go to the polls in a special election Tuesday to elect a new mayor. Sydney City Council set the election following Warren Forbes' resignation early last month. Three candidates are on the ballot. A Percival native, Justin Shirley, was born and raised in Fremont County and graduated from Sydney High School before going to Simpson College. Shirley worked for roughly four years in the banking industry in Des Moines and Omaha before moving back to Sydney in 2011 with his wife, Randy where they have lived since. Currently a crop insurance agent in Red Oak, Shirley also spent the past year in the Sydney City Council after filling a vacancy in January 2023 and winning re-election in November. Shirley tells King MA News he chose to run for mayor because he felt it was the best fit for the role. The mayor's job is more or less to be the face of the community, uh, be a positive influence between the press, the public, and the council, and have an effective working relationship with the city council, who is the decision makers on things. And I feel like I'm the best suited to to do that moving forward. A lifelong Fremont County resident, challenger Brandon Van Syok, graduated from Lewis Central High School in 1991 and has lived in Sydney for 25 years. Currently employed with Richardson Sanitation out of Tabor, Van Syok has served in the city volunteer fire department for nearly 12 years. Van Syok tells KMA News he decided to run for mayor to bring a fresh face to the city's government. I just kind of feel like the city of Sydney is possibly ready for someone with a little bit of a backbone. We, we need to do something different. I feel like common sense has kind of gone out the window the last few years, and we need to bring common sense back. We, it's, it's just time for a change, and I feel like the people... They're ready for a change. A Bellevue University graduate with a bachelor's degree in computer information systems and associate's degree in software systems and networking from Amarillo College, Ken Brown currently works as a network specialist for the Internet service provider and has worked in computer tech support for more than 20 years. Brown also served two years in the city council, then two more as mayor before Forbes' election in November. Brown tells KMA News he's running for the position again to see through some of the projects started during his previous term as mayor and attempt to bring in new leadership. I think the city needs new leadership. I think whether it's me or whether it's Brandon or whether it's Justin, I think the city needs to get in there and I think they need to work to 
resolve the issues that were brought to light by Mr. Ward's, Mr. Forbes' letter. Polls are open at Sydney's United Faith Church Tuesday from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. There's also another special election Tuesday in the Clarinda School District. Voters going to the polls March 5th on a voted physical plant and equipment levy of $1.34 per thousand dollars valuation. Proceeds in the 10-year PEPL would cover a myriad of infrastructure projects on the district's wish list. Speaking on a recent Morning Line edition, Clarenda School Superintendent Jeff Privia says he's hoping for better luck with Tuesday's special referendum. You know, we've looked at this for about 18 months now, a voted PEPL or a go bond. And, you know, these, these are things we need to be successful in Clarenda. And hopefully we can get this passed here on March 5th. And we only need a 50% majority uh, this time instead of a 60 So. You know, we're, we're pretty positive, um, and hopefully we can get this passed and get some of our infrastructure taken care of. Polls in the Clarinda District open Tuesday from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. That wraps up another edition of This Week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. For more information all the time, log on to kmaland.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend.